And welcome to the CNBC special Inside Jobs. It's a whopper of a jobs number today, and it's a shocker, too. Wall Street just didn't see this one coming. It's got enormous implications for the economy, the way we all work, and maybe even the way we all live. Can you say four-day work week? We'll talk about that idea later in the hour. I'm Eamon Javers in Washington. Jim Cramer has the night off. But don't worry, we'll get his take on the jobs report tonight, too. But just look at this red-hot labor market. 528,000 jobs added in the month of July compared to estimates for just 258,000 jobs. The unemployment rate is now back to its pre-pandemic level. It's tied for the lowest since, get this, 1969. And as you can see from this morning's pre-market action, the moment the data was released, the strong labor number was at first received poorly by the stock market as investors assessed what the strong data would mean for the Fed's rate tightening campaign. But that didn't last. The Dow ended the day in the green. So here to explain what it all means for your money and maybe your life, Paychex CEO Marty Moosey. He's got his finger on the pulse of small business in America. Then our all-star CNBC panel joins to discuss the confusing jobs market and the real differences that we're seeing between economic sectors. Plus, Kevin O'Leary, he's got some thoughts on the job market. All that and more tonight on this CNBC special Inside Jobs. But first, let's dig deeper into the market's reaction to this shocking jobs report this morning. Stocks initially, as we said, selling off, but closing well off the lows of the session. The Dow finishing with a small gain on the day. Let's bring in our own Mike Santoli for more. Mike, what the heck is going on here? Well, Eamon, as you mentioned, it was a jolt uh, in the sense that uh, investors have been looking, perhaps, for evidence that there was a more persistent slowdown in this economy and that the jobs report was going to confirm that idea that we were decelerating. And in fact, that might mean uh, that the Federal Reserve was getting close to the end of its rate hiking campaign. Uh, what really seems to be the case is that companies have been telling us they haven't seen demand go down very much. Travel's been booming. The services sector has actually been quite strong, and that has not necessarily been captured in a lot of the other data we've seen. So all that being uh, the case, the market was able to migrate toward those sectors that do benefit from a stronger domestic economy. The banks did well. Energy uh, rebounded a little bit. And essentially, you got a reversal of this trade that was going to be all about lower bond yields uh, and perhaps a, uh, a more gentle uh, Fed cycle to come. Doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we kind of got this all sorted out and it means the economy is not going to have some challenges out there. Some people are talking about how jobs are kind of a lagging indicator, or at least a coincident and not a leading indicator uh, of the economy. But for now, the market was able to absorb it, I think, because the Fed has been telling us it's still on the case in terms of raising rates for months to come. And if that's the case, you'd rather have the economy be relatively sturdy to absorb it rather than seeing it uh, really weaken in the short term. Mike, we had all this talk about a recession looming over the past couple of weeks. Everybody on Wall Street sort of predicting that might be the case. What do you think? Is the recession canceled now? You can't say that it's canceled. I mean, a lot of things look like it's kind of late in the cycle. The Fed itself has not even really, uh, really conveyed that much confidence that it can decisively avert a recession. We did see two quarters in a row of slightly negative GDP. Uh, that isn't in itself a recession, but it tells you you're on alert for one. Uh, but I do think you have to defer that call and basically say right now, you rarely go from half a million jobs in a month to none uh, in you know, the course of, uh, of one or two months. So therefore, it seems like it bought us some time before we have to really make that determination about a recession. All right. So we're going to stay on alert for the recession there. Mike Santoli, thanks so much. 
Meanwhile, the jobs picture, not as hot everywhere as Mike just told us about some of those sectors that are benefiting. Hiring at small U.S. Uh, US small businesses slowed for the fifth consecutive month. So what are those small businesses seeing that everybody else in this economy is not seeing? For that question, let's bring in Paycheck CEO Marty Moosey, who's seeing things in this economy that even the government data doesn't see. Marty, is this just a question of small businesses really just running out of people to hire here or what's going on? Well, Eamon, I think, you know, it's always a little bit tougher for small businesses. Uh, I, this is, while job growth has decreased um, uh, from a, a level of growth, there's still job growth with under 50 employees. But the issue is really finding the people. So the postings are at an all-time high. We're seeing job postings still very high for small businesses, but they're having a problem finding people. And, you know, that's always a little bit tougher for under 50. They don't have as much flexibility in the jobs from a work perspective, maybe not remote work. The benefits aren't always as strong. They're certainly adding a lot of those things, but it's not quite as strong for under 50, but not for lack of demand. The demand is still very strong for their goods and services. Marty, what makes you wonder about the wages picture here, too, right? I mean, because wage number was good in this report today. If you're a worker, not so good if you're a small business trying to hire. And I wonder if wage inflation is just a particular problem for small business because they just don't have the flexibility, adaptability, the enormous balance sheets that big companies have. So if they've got to pay more, that really hurts a small business. Well, it's a very good point. It's a little bit harder to pass on the price increases in a lot of small businesses. So they're seeing we're seeing on the, the under 50 employee businesses, you know, about a 5%, 5.1% uh, wage increase year over year. That's up from almost two and a half percent just about a year and a half ago. So it's really increased quite quickly. And in some areas, sectors like other services or leisure and hospitality, the wage increase is more like six or seven percent. One other number that's really interesting, though, while we're back, as you I'm sure heard from the BLS report today, that we're back to pre-pandemic levels overall, you know, leisure and hospitality is still a million two jobs less than pre-pandemic. And it's been picked up really with big increases in transportation and warehousing and professional services. That's where the jobs have been coming. And you're not seeing quite as many of those in the small business area. Why is leisure and hospitality hurting so much? I mean, where did those workers go? I mean, we talked a lot about the stimulus uh, back during the pandemic. That might have encouraged some people to sit on the sidelines a little bit. But now that's over. You'd think that that's worked its way through the economy and those employees should be coming back. You're saying they're not. They're not because, you know, it's a, it's a lot less flexibility and people have gotten used to remote work and flexible uh, work hours, hybrid schedules. That's a lot harder to do in leisure and hospitality. And there's yeah. still some COVID fears, some health fears. You know, they've got to be on the spot in front of people and uh, some still wearing masks. It's just not as easy to hire in leisure and hospitality when you can go other places. And, and even with the higher wages in leisure and hospitality. The other interesting stat that we just saw today that we had not seen before is the multiple job holders. So people holding multiple jobs, a full-time and a part-time, is at a record level. Very interesting that maybe some of this big jobs number was from people holding multiple jobs, which is at an all-time high right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up COVID because that's where I wanted to go next. I mean, it's, my personal theory here is what's going on is this just enormous demand surge post-COVID that has just distorted the entire economy, and we're all sort of working our way through that. But you wonder how much the COVID situation is hurting these small businesses right now. I mean, I personally was out with COVID last week. You think I, I was fortunate enough to be able to take a whole week off of work, no problem. A lot of hourly workers can't do that. And when they step out of work for COVID, you know, that hits their employers, that hits their restaurants, that hits the service industry. How much are you seeing people just out sick showing up in this data? 
Yeah, you're definitely seeing it. Glad to have you back on the job. And, and you know, you. you're right. They, they can't take that time off. Or if they have to take care of someone, if they have to take care of a child that has to stay out of daycare or out of school, if they have to take care of an elderly parent, you know, that's not as easy for a leisure and hospitality. So it really has made it difficult for leisure and hospitality jobs, small restaurants and, and hotels and so forth to get the people back in because they don't have the flexibility that you're finding in a tremendous number of jobs now. So we're still seeing growth, but it is tougher to get them in leisure and hospitality. There's no doubt about it. Marty Mucci, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate your expertise and what you're seeing. Okay. Meanwhile, this is a head-scratching moment for the market. Many saying it's already a recession because we've had those two quarters of contraction. Even Elon Musk, now he's an optimist that we're going to solve climate change and we're going to go to Mars. Well, he's a pessimist about the economy. Here's what he said last night. We will have a recession. I think it will be a relatively mild recession. Sort of, uh, I'm just guessing here. This is total... Uh, speculation. Um, but I would guess it's a, it's a, you know, mild recession for, I don't know, 18 months or something like that. Um, it would be my best guess right now. But what a difference 12 hours make. Does this hot jobs report mean that Elon Musk is wrong? Well, let's bring in our CNBC experts across tech, financials, retail, and travel. Ari Levy, Hugh Sun, Lauren Thomas, and Leslie Josephs, welcome to all of you. Ari, let's start with you. What's making Elon Musk so gloomy these days? Well, him and you know, Elon and Tesla, they were in the category of companies that overhired like crazy, hired like crazy during the pandemic. Uh, demand soared. Um, you know, they were seeing all sorts of interest from the investor community. Uh, so capital markets were supporting the growth. Uh, and now you've just seen a, a reversion to the mean. You've seen, um, you know, the economy pull back. Uh, you've seen capital markets pull back. And, and, now they're having to to respond. So, you know, it's happening at Tesla. It's happening across the tech sector and uh, certainly in, in the EV space where Elon is. Hugh, there have been these rumblings of layoffs on Wall Street, you know, compared to the rest of the economy. Do you think that's what we're going to see in the financials? Yeah, no, Eamon, I think that's that is the case. Uh, you've had the collapse, the absolute collapse in, in the IPO markets, uh, something like 95 percent uh, lower than a year ago through July. July being the slowest month uh, of, of the year. So unless there's some um, pretty sharp uh, return to, uh, you know, equity issuance, to debt issuance, especially in high yield uh, and a pickup in IPOs, you're going to see uh, people come back from vacation in, in the Hamptons come Labor Day. <laughs> and they're going to look around and say, how many of these uh, heads can I sustain? How many should I keep? And uh, people are going to come up with lists of people that they can do without. It always seems like those big decisions on Wall Street have to wait till after the Hamptons vacation, right? Uh, Lauren, what about consumer spending? Right, we hear all this doom and gloom, but buyers are still go, go, go. Yeah, absolutely. No, we've heard some pretty dire warnings just in recent days, right, from a number of retailers, including some of the biggest in the U.S., uh, such as Walmart, Best Buy, Target. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you look at uh, July and the numbers from the retail uh, trade industry added about 22,000 jobs. Um, that was really driven from growth in the discount space. So think those big, big box retailers that consumers are really flocking to right now to look for lower prices, as well as uh, food and beverage. So the grocery industries, you know, think essentials. Um, there have been a number of cuts um, at more of the specialty apparel retailers uh, of 
late. There were layoffs at Stitch Fix, uh, layoffs at Allbirds. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really dependent upon, I think, and goes to at the core, the categories in which consumers are shopping at and, and where they're gravitating toward right now as they face higher prices. At the same time, what I think is going to be really interesting to watch is the holiday season is approaching. Um, it'll be here before we know it. You know, I know it's still summer, but the holidays are right around the corner and retailers are certainly planning for that. Last holiday season, uh, according to Challenger and Gray estimates, the retail industry was looking to hire about 700,000 temporary workers, right? So just think about the, the way the labor market is, is shaped today. Um, and, you know, it remains a big question of if retailers are going to need as many people this holiday season um, and also if those people will be around to take those jobs. But you think that what we're seeing so far is just the traditional sort of creative destruction of capitalism, some brands doing well, some brands brands maybe not so well, and they're adjusting their workforces as a result. That means the economy and, and the market can sort of absorb those workers. They can go somewhere else, right? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I think it goes back to, too, at the start of the pandemic. Remember when we had retailers that were deemed essential and then others were deemed non-essential and they had to close their stores. So I think that more than anything really stuck a nail in this this divide between so-called winners and losers in the retail industry. So you had the, the Targets and the Walmarts of the world really need people in their stores. And at the same time, you know, Macy's and Gap and others had to furlough, furlough uh, workers, at least temporarily. And Leslie, anybody who's flown this summer, you know, you know that travel is still all messed up, but that's not stopping people from flying, is it? No, definitely not. And it's part of the strain is just that the industry is absorbing so many passengers that for the most part, the airline industry was not prepared for it at pretty much every level. And airlines took that $54 billion in bailout money um, and that prohibited them from doing any layoffs. What it did allow them to do, uh, there was a loophole in that, was uh, urge thousands of workers to take early retirement. Uh, that included pilots, flight attendants, um, people in, in the office, corporate workers with institutional knowledge. So now airlines are, are adding jobs like crazy. And a lot of that is to uh, backfill the jobs that they lost uh, kind of at the depths, depths of the pandemic when people were not traveling. And it takes months to train a pilot. That's the biggest shortage uh, that we're seeing right now in the airline industry. And it's expected to last for several years. And we're seeing small cities around the U.S. already lose service, some entirely. Where are they going to get those pilots from? Do you have any idea? Or do they have any idea? Uh, well, uh, United Airlines, for example, has started its own flight school. Um, so they're trying to train workers. There are cadet programs out there. Delta Airlines was one of the last airlines to get rid of a four-year degree requirement, although it is still preferred. And they're putting money into scholarships um, and low-interest loans and, and things like that. But it does take a really long time. The pilots are not coming through the military the way that they used to. So there are all kinds of th things that can be being thrown at the wall at this point. Well, you are seeing very, very big pay increases for those regional airlines uh, that fly, you know, routes maybe under two hours. Um, that's where the, the shortage is most acute. There are planes that are, are grounded, American Airlines, United Airlines, uh, that they cannot serve. Um, but we're seeing, you know, 50% pay increases across the board, just like any industry. And to yeah. Lauren Thomas's point uh, about Christmas coming up, you know, it, it's going to be a really big question about how much people shelled out this summer for their travel and how much money they have left over when the holidays come around. Well, it is still August. I'm not ready to talk about Christmas just yet. But Ari, Hugh, Lauren, Leslie, thank you very much for your time and for your insights in all these sectors. We are just getting started on this CNBC special Inside Jobs. We'll dig deeper into the report with some numbers you maybe haven't heard all day on CNBC today, including my favorite data point for a Friday. What was today's jobs number for food services and drinking places? 
Plus, the markets kind of shrugged their collective shoulders over this number, so we'll bottom line it for you. How does this report change things for the Fed and for the markets? Our CNBC special, Inside Jobs, we'll be right back. And welcome back to the CNBC special Inside Jobs. By now, you know the big news of the day. 528,000 jobs were added in the month of July. The unemployment rate fell to 3.5%. Steve Leisman has been so strong on this from the moment the news broke this morning and all day today. Uh, now he's looking at some of the other numbers within the report that you probably haven't heard. Steve, what's going on? Hey, uh, Eamon, yeah, the key to this jobs report could be that a lot of job growth looks almost disconnected from the economic growth that's out there. Rather, a good part of it looks tied to the continuing effort to restore the jobs lost from the pandemic. Take a look at this. So for the first time since the massive job losses from the shutdown, the U.S. economy now has added has more jobs than it had in February 2020. That is, it's taken two and a half years for the job market to recover. So you might say, all right, the economy is slowing. We've recovered the lost jobs. Now job growth should slow. Not so fast. First, the economy is bigger now. Second, not every industry is back up to speed. Take leisure and hospitality. It added a massive 96,000 jobs in July, but it's still 1.2 million jobs short of where it was in February 2020. So still a lot of ground to make up in restaurants, hotels, and places like Disney World and concert halls and places like the Torn Valley Vineyard, where I'm playing tonight. Anyway, about half of those missing jobs in leisure and hospitality, they're in the restaurant business. Here's the number Eamon teased. They added 74,000 jobs this time, but still, Eamon, 600,000 jobs short. So plenty of positions to fill. So the economy it may have contracted for two straight quarters, but the job market is marching to a very different rhythm. And that's the march back from the COVID shutdown. And Steve, the biggest question, I love that food and, and drinking places stat. But the biggest question yeah. out of today's report is what does it mean for the Fed, right? And the, the future of what they're going to do on interest rates. Everybody's been saying, you know, it's going to be 75 basis points. Well, maybe just 50. What do you see? So markets almost uniformly thought that it meant that the more Fed rate hikes, the outlook for rate hikes rose today, as did rates in Treasury markets across the board. Take a look. Uh, you can see here that futures markets now see the Fed hiking above 350 by year end, about 20 basis points more than before the number. The, the, the concern is the job market is running so hot it's going to spur higher wages, which will spur more inflation. It gets to 356. You can see there. Then it starts to come down as the markets think the Fed will have seen the error of its ways in tightening too much and maybe causing a recession. So this is an arguable proposition, at least as far as I'm concerned. It may be that bringing more people to work will boost supply, lower prices, because more businesses can run production lines longer. More businesses can stay open longer, boosting competition, maybe reducing inflation. But the consensus now, as you showed in that screen before, a 75 basis point hike in September, up from the 50 that was priced in before the meeting, Eamon. 75 basis points in September. Steve, thanks so much. I really appreciate your insights on that. And of course, so important because if the Fed raises interest rates, you know, that matters for the stock market. And that's why the Dow might have been a little tepid today in its response to this number, waiting to see what the Fed's going to sure. do. So let's get an on the ground look at the hiring situation in the United States with Tom Gimbel. He's the CEO of LaSalle Network, a national staffing and recruiting firm. Tom, in your LinkedIn post today, you wrote this about inflation. You said the media will act like the sky is falling, but you say inflation's not actually that bad. So here you are tonight. You're on the media. Give us your take. 
We added over 500,000 jobs this month. No one predicted that much. I understand that two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in the old economy was a recession, but I don't think there's anything that ties everybody you talk to, whether it's Steve or anybody else, it understands how we can have record unemployment, adding a half million jobs and say that we're in a recession. So by historical standards and judging it by negative GDP growth, we are in a recession. However, we cannot say the economy is bad. If everybody who wants a job has a job or can get a job, how is it a bad economy? Well, that's a great question, right? I mean, if you're if you're out there looking for work, this is as good an economy as there's been since the 90s, right? Uh, yes. Since ever, Eamon. Since, since ever. ever. Fair enough. It's so, three and a half. Listen, the, the economy, here's the, the interesting thing that people don't realize. Aside from coming out of a global pandemic, which is absolutely insane to even think about, is that we have a global economy that companies, big and small, offshore business, not just to India and the Philippines like they did with call centers, but they're doing it with um, graphic design work, with legal work, with accounting work, to Eastern Europe. They're doing it to South America. We are truly in a global economy. And with that being said, the United States unemployment rate is still at 3.5%. It's unbelievable. And everybody wants to act like chicken little when we're in the middle of something. And listen, maybe it's going to end. Maybe we're going to go into a full recession at 12 or 13% inflation and unemployment will get to seven. But it isn't there yet. And it doesn't look like it's getting there. There's always another recession coming. The question is the timing, as it always is. Tom, let's take your optimistic scenario, right? Things are getting better. Inflation's not that bad. The jobs picture is as good as it's ever been. That's great for consumers, for spending, for the economy. What happens if we start to see, as we're seeing, oil comes down, gas at the pump comes down, commodity prices come down? We're seeing all of that filter through the economy. Do we get into some sort of massive boom in your scenario going into the fall and into the winter, as we were just talking about the Christmas season just around the corner here? Well, I think that's an interesting comment, Eamon, because you said if it seems like things are getting better, they weren't bad, right? We had a blip of a quarter that was terrible, absolutely terrible. Ever since then, we've continued to grow the economy. So it's only getting better over, over the past two years, right? It's only gotten better every quarter after every quarter. So from an employment standpoint, now what we're looking at is where things go is that what the Fed is showing us is that if interest rates go up, it means that everybody can still have a booming jobs market and a booming economy. However, however, the companies that aren't profitable and were only doing business well because money was free, they won't continue to grow at the same pace. So yes, if this continues this way, we are going to have a really strong 2023. So if you're giving investment advice right now, people want to buy stocks out there. The free money companies, those are the ones you'd stay away from, right? Yeah, I think what we're seeing right now, and again, I'm not a stock analyst, but when I look at the economy, I look at professional services sectors, whether it's consulting, whether it's staffing, I look at at old-fashioned, traditional blue-chip companies that are really stable and the business is good. What we've got is, if there's one weakness in the economy, it's consumer debt, right? We have people that are taking on more individual debt, but traditional, big, blue-chip companies, they're not going to have problems in the long run because there's more people coming into the workforce from graduating college and we're going to get whatever people that we're sitting out will be in because the fear of COVID is no longer. Yeah, amen. Let's hope that that happens. The fear of COVID uh, is doing a lot of damage to this economy. Tom, thanks for your analysis. Really appreciate it. The message there, it's getting better all the time. This CNBC special, Inside Jobs, continues right after this. 
Coming up, a muscle-bound jobs report rocks Wall Street. What we got was one of the hottest numbers I have ever seen. Stick around for Kramer's Take. What's it mean for your portfolio? Plus, Kevin O'Leary's key thoughts on how to play this market. That and more next. And welcome back to the CNBC special Inside Jobs. A monster number today, 528,000 jobs, but the markets, they shook it off. The Dow posting a small gain today, but the S&P 500 and NASDAQ both closed lower on the day. But bond yields, they jumped. The 10-year yield continuing a big rally from a low of 2.52% earlier in the week. Now, Jim Cramer may not be hosting this hour tonight, but he never takes a day off from the markets. Here's Cramer's take on what happened today. Welcome to the anti-Goldilocks. What we always want if we're bulls in the market is we want data that's not too hot and but also not too cold. Something in the middle, something that requires no intervention by the federal government in any way, but especially the Federal Reserve. We did not get that this morning. What we got was one of the hottest numbers I have ever seen. Dramatic increase in, in uh, wages, dramatic increase in the number of people, 3.5% unemployment, envy of the world, but too inflationary. So when you see a number like this, you don't know whether to cheer because we're a great country and everybody can get a job or boo, because now you know that the Fed is going to have to take rates up far more than you thought. I was hoping for just a 50 basis point next time around. I think 75 is back on the table. Fortunately, they're away until September. Unfortunately, they are multiple chances to talk. And when they talk, the stock market is going to go down. What's it mean for your portfolio? Okay, I think that you have to take a look at your portfolio. Um, Now, I am like I said, bullish as I went in the uh, morning meeting yesterday and, and, and of course, the uh, big club meeting. I like oil. Uh, I like oil off this number. Oil has come down steadily since it peaked not that long ago. We're talking about 130 down to 86. That makes sense. I like the banks. Why? Because when you get this strong a number, it says you're not going to recession anytime soon, and they've got an absolutely terrific balance sheet. Those are the areas I like. And then the rest of the market is going to be suspect for a bit. No need to be a hero. I think when we come back in on Monday, there will be strategists who are off taking the cannonball to the Hamptons. And they will come back and they will say, we are going to have too many rate hikes and the economy is going to be too hot. The anti-Goldilocks number, not what we wanted to see. And many people will sell stocks on this number. That's Kramer's take. If you're counting, that's our second Hamptons uh, reference in the show tonight. Kramer calls it the uh, anti-Goldilocks number. So let's dive more into today's market reaction. Bringing our guests here, Delano Sapporo. He's the founder and CEO of New Street Advisors and a CNBC contributor. And Diane Swank. She's the chief economist at KPMG. Diane, let me start with you. This was just a huge surprise this morning. Wall Street is stacked with experts who get paid millions of dollars to forecast this number. And they weren't only wrong, they were way wrong. So why'd they miss it? Well, that's a big mystery. We're not quite sure why we all missed it, but the bottom line is the number was strong. I think what's really interesting is to look at what's been going on and why consumers, despite these strong numbers, feel so 
bad about the economy. More than over 60% of consumers think we're already in a recession when technically, from an economist perspective, we are not because of these strong numbers and falling unemployment rate. The reason they feel that is because what we've seen is the rise in wages that happened as we reopened the economy has been wiped out and then some <clears throat> by inflation. That gives us a sense of losing ground even among those who are employed. In fact, defaults among low-income households have gone up in recent months because of the squeeze of inflation and their inability to make paychecks. Interestingly, in today's job report, the supply of workers from multiple job holders actually increased, and I see that as a sign of economic stress rather than strength, because there was a point in time where multiple job holders didn't have to hold two jobs to make ends meet. And I think the stress of inflation has forced them to go back in and pick up that second job again. So Diane, that's let me, something let me I jump worry on that about point. is that it's the highest level since February. Sure. Yeah, let me jump on that point real quick, because I'm sitting here in Washington, so I can't resist asking a political question. And you talk about that sense of falling behind, right? The need to have two jobs, maybe also this inflation that's eating up your paycheck and that, that feeling that's in the economy among workers. I wonder what you think in, ter in terms of that's impacting American politics right now, this sense among voters out there that things are going in the wrong direction. Is that tied in? Well, we already, we already see it. We certainly see it in the confidence numbers, we see it in the sentiment numbers. And the two numbers which had gone in two directions because one was measuring more the labor market and the other one was measuring more the inflation situation, they're now starting to both go in the same direction and that's the wrong direction and that's down. And yeah. so that is something we worry about is that people's perception of the economy is down and those perceptions aren't wrong just because the job market is good. The job market can be good, but we just haven't had anything like this. I mean, the pandemic is this unusual world right. where, you know, it's upside down. And the idea that we have burn with such strong um, job gains is not something we've known in decades. Delana, let me get over to you because we've got the other big mystery today, and that's why did the market do what it did? So many people thought, you know, we'll be in the red because Wall Street will now be afraid of the Fed uh, raising interest rates. That's bad for stocks. But, you know, we ended up in the green. So explain that. Yeah, I mean, we did end up with the green, you know, on a, on a slightly. And I think, you know, a couple of reasons. We're still, you know, assessing the data. I think if you look at it, you know, there was high probabilities bets. You know, Wall Street was looking at a 75 or 50 points, uh, 50 basis points hike. And now the, the, the probabilities moved over heavily to the 75 basis points hike. And I think a lot of things you're seeing in the market is we are in a great economy. We still have a tight labor market. Things are good. And that's something to be cheered. Now, in the equities portion, you have to understand. We have to look at it and say, all right, are we too, still in a hot inflationary environment? I believe we are. Um, and so that's obviously going to affect some companies, especially if you're looking at growth companies. And I think, you know, that's the area that a lot of investors are looking at is are we where are we sitting at with inflation and what data points are pointing to, you know, things getting better on the inflation side. So, Delano, put on your individual investor hat for a second and tell me where I should be putting my money. If you think inflation is going to be a problem, but only in certain sectors, do you have some winners and losers? Yeah, it's on two sides of this thing. So if you look at the last month performance in the S&P, obviously tech performed really well. And I think, you know, as mentioned, we're still on inflation. We're still going to see hikes. So investors have to be careful. It could potentially take positions in tech um, as strong companies that actually produce uh, bottom line profit um, and have cash. Um, and then if you look at the other side of things, I mean, 
Uh, for for the people that think that we're still in rough times and volatile times, and we're still heading that direction. Obviously, there was staples mentioned in the last clip, but I look at the healthcare sector, um, the least performing uh, um, sector in the last month, and that's an area where I think we're still strong. You can get dividend cash flow in a lot of those companies, um, and also you have a little bit of recessionary buffer there um, if things turn turn the other way. Healthcare sector, that's a good tip for those folks at home who are taking notes. Thanks, Delano Sapuru and Diane Swank for your insights tonight. This CNBC special, Inside Jobs, we're coming right back after this. Coming up, Kevin O'Leary is on deck with how he's strategizing off the jobs report. Plus, not all the glitters, what a recent cascade of layoffs mean for your money. And home to stay? Why the workplace might have already changed for good when we return on CNBC. Welcome back. We're breaking down the key lines from today's jobs report and what it all means for the market, the Fed's next step, the state of the economy, even your life. Here to share his key takeaways from this morning's number is Kevin O'Leary. He's the chairman of O'Leary Ventures. Kevin, recession's off, I guess. Does this mean that all those CEOs who are trying to lure those stay-at-home workers back into the office are just going to have to suck it up now? I mean, workers still have the upper hand in this economy? What do you think? Well, you know, let me give you some anecdotal data that you'll find very interesting. I've got got 10,000 employees across 54 different private companies in every sector in almost every state, 50 to 500 million in sales private. We thought that we couldn't get 15, 1-5% back to the office, primarily in accounting, logistics, and compliance departments who sat in cubicles in the basement. Here we are, 30 months later, 55% did not come back to the office, over half, 55%. When we threatened them with saying, you lose your job, if you don't come back, they say, great, I'm going to work for somebody else. Our CFO has never seen our headquarters. And she is one of the best and the brightest. Couldn't get her back. So the world's changed. The economy's changed. For every job I have, I have 0.4% people to hire. I have. I can't hire anybody in California. Minimum wage in leisure and consumer products and commercial kitchens, $15. I'm paying $22 if I can hire somebody. This how do you economy manage, is How do you manage in that fire. environment? How do you manage in that environment, Kevin? I mean, you know, we're like in the upside down here, right? I mean, CEOs, guys like you are used to being the boss, telling people what to do. I want you in the the office. I want you to come here. I want you to go there. You can't really do that if if you're talking about 0.4% of people out there that you can hire. I mean, you have to be very solicitous of these employees. It's, It's worker power right now. It is worker power, and I have to abide. I have to be the dude. I have to abide. The dude abides. And I, I got to tell I you something. The, the greatest employees ever want what they want, and I don't want to lose them. So I've got to be right. very, very flexible. But frankly, with technology today, we get tremendous productivity. There's no question about it. And just to let you know something, I know I should be concerned about a recession, and I don't want yep. to be overall optimistic. This quarter we're in right now, is the best quarter we've ever had in terms of free cash flow. Our businesses are on fire. So I know we're talking about recession. I know the tech sector is laying people off, but in consumer goods and services, 65% of the American economy, we are rock and roll here. By the way, we don't need another payout from the government. We don't need the Build Back Better anti-inflation, whatever they're calling that bill. Please don't do that absolutely unnecessary. Chips Act, don't need it. The economy is doing its own thing after $6 trillion of printed money. I can't wait for the midterms, and I'm not political, but I know what's going to happen. 
this administration is going to get wiped out and it'll be gridlock in Washington. As an investor, I love it. I love it. 90 days <laughs> You're away. You're in the pro gridlock party. I let me, want let me ask you about those. Let me ask you about Go those ahead. good employees, though, because you, you talk about the good employees, right? And those are people you want to be solicitous of. You, you want to bend over backwards to make them happy. But we all have worked in all kinds of jobs. And there are also employees who aren't that good. And the old sort of you know, chainsaw owl thing was like you just cut the bottom 10 percent every year and you're kind of ruthless to the bottom performers. Uh, but now we're talking about things like labor hoarding, you know, where executives are just going to keep people on the payroll because they're terrified of running out of bodies. How do you deal with sort of your poor performers in, a, in an environment like this where you might be afraid to let them go? You know, I'll tell you something that's interesting. I spend probably 10% of my day talking to my woman who runs HR in our, our corporate office. I don't want to whack anybody. I don't want to give anybody up. I don't want anybody leaving whatever they want. You can't hire people. You can't get them anymore. And if they have institutional knowledge and they've got some history with the company, why would you ever give that up? I mean, unless they've really breached the mandate they're in, there is no way I give them up. I don't care yeah. where they work. They can have a pig farm in Oklahoma. They can work on a ranch somewhere else. I don't care. The world's changed so much, and our businesses are on fire. It's amazing, right? I mean, the whole corporate culture was built around this idea of show up for work, uh, wear the suit that your boss wears, all this performative meetings and whatnot. It turns out none of that mattered because we're not doing any of that anymore, and the, your business is on fire. I've never even met my CFO, never met her in person, never met her. That's astonishing to me. It's astonishing. It's a new world. Kevin O'Leary, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Now, coming up, heading into this Jobs Friday, it was layoffs dominating the conversation. Remember layoffs? Robinhood, Alphabet, Twitter, Apple, all announcing hiring slowdowns or job cuts. So where's the disconnect? We're going to dig deeper after this break. think the consumer is not doing bad. As you can see, unemployment is down significantly. If people want to work, they can work. So, uh, you know, my view at the moment, things aren't so bad. For me, the most difficult part is labor. Now, labor is part, you know, where we have seen the most increases over the last year. It is direct labor and it is skilled labor that is the hardest thing to get right now. And while 3.6% unemployment looks great, there's 11 million job openings in the U.S., and that means you know there's a lot of things that we can't get done because we can't get the people. We'll continue to hire at a, probably at a lower rate, but what we are doing is we continue to increase our spending in brand. We continue to invest our spending, particularly into digital, to build our digital capabilities. Year-over-year -year basis, if you look at the number of people who apply for a job, it's up 44% from a year ago. So there, there's a flip side to the economy slowing down. The right. job market opens up, so you solve some of these labor issues. You heard it right from the CEOs. Labor, labor, labor. Finding it is one of the toughest problems facing a host of industries right now. But for companies like Coinbase and Meta, well, the problem isn't finding labor. It's having too much. So what does this varied picture of the jobs market mean for the overall economy? Let's bring in our own Kate Rogers for more on that. And Kate, you just heard Kevin O'Leary in the previous segment. He's practically groveling before his employees to keep them. What are you seeing? 
Yeah, so it's really a mixed picture, Eamon. So you just mentioned you heard from all of those CEOs. Uh, we had this big jobs number today. But if you look beneath that, the weeks leading up to it, it's been a ton of talk about layoffs. In the retail space, we heard from Walmart lowering its forecast, also uh, laying off about 200 employees, CNBC <coughs> reported. Then Shopify, another big e-commerce player that had a lot of pandemic success, way, uh, laying off about 10% of its workforce, saying that the boom that was expected to continue from the pandemic in e-commerce spending did not sustain. But it's not limited to just retail. We heard from Ford and Rivian also uh, laying off workers Beyond Meat last night in its earnings report talking about consumers trading down uh, to cheaper meats and that impacting that company. It's laying off about 40 workers. And then also in the tech space, you're hearing, you know, from Alphabet, Amazon, Twitter, you mentioned Robinhood, Coinbase, uh, a lot of this tied to ad spending online too, and a lot of them laying off workers as well as we debate back and forth whether or not we're in a recession. It's two very different uh, pictures in the job market. Yeah, Kate, sure. absolutely. We, we heard about this from Steve Leisman earlier in the broadcast, right? He talked about dining and drinking places, their way up. One area we keep hearing is on fire, leisure, hospitality. What do you see in there? Yeah, so we had a huge number today for leisure and hospitality, 96,000 jobs added, which sounds great. But then if you look under the hood, we're still more than a million workers short of where we were pre-pandemic. So this is coming at a really challenging time, Eamon, for the tourism and hospitality industry because American consumers are very ready to get out there and spend. There's a lot of pent-up demand from the last uh, two summers of being in this pandemic. Now people are feeling perhaps a bit more comfortable to get out there, but the American Hotel and Lodging Association CEO told us that nearly one 100% of their membership said that they were hiring. Nearly 50% said that they were in a severe staffing shortage. And you're seeing hotel operators try and kind of do more uh, with what they have, which is not a lot right now. They're they're limiting you know the amount of cleanings that people are getting in their hotel rooms in some <coughs> cases. Some of them are blocking off hotels and saying that these rooms are not available when they actually are, but they just don't have the staff to service them. Hotel restaurants are perhaps limiting their menus and kind of uh, closing down for two out of the seven days a week, only operating for five. We did hear one success story, though, from Maury's Piers in Wildwood, New Jersey, if you're familiar with the Wildwood area at the Jersey Shore. Basically, what they did was a really aggressive hiring campaign out ahead of the summer season. They got out there, hired early. They also worked with the state to change the amount of hours that teen workers can actually work this summer, up to 50 hours a week if you're not in school. Um, and that kind of helped them to close the gap for the summer season. And they said that they're fully staffed. That was the only time I heard that in doing this story today. Fully staffed. That's great to hear, Kate. We need Wildwood to be up and running for the rest of the summer down in the Jersey Shore. Yeah. <laughs> a three-day weekend every week. One nonprofit is uncovering the reality a four-day work week could have on employers and employees. We'll discuss the findings with the organization's CEO when we come back on this Friday night. The way we all work continues to change as the economy recovers from the pandemic. But should a four-day work week be one of those changes? Let's bring in Joe O'Connor. He's the CEO of a four-day week global, a nonprofit conducting research on the impact of the four-day work week. Joe, first, let me ask you, what are you doing working on a Friday? Well, the four-day work week doesn't necessarily mean that everyone has Fridays off. Um, we right. believe a flexible application of the four-day work week. So today, I'm working. Today you're working, and I'm, I'm glad you are. Tell us what you found in your research here. So we've been running these pilot programs all over the world this year, and we've had companies here in North America, in Australasia, and also in Europe participating. <laughs> so over 180 companies worldwide with about 60 here in North America. 
The first company started their trials in February. We have a larger cohort who started in April. So as yet, we don't have final results from these initial trials, but we do have some of the midpoint findings. And what they're suggesting is very statistically significant improvements in employee well-being indicators, such as stress, burnout, improved sleep, and improved life-work balance amongst employees. We're expecting to have a final report available next month, which will include the company-level data. But we have some anecdotal evidence which suggests that for the companies who have been participating, they have been able to maintain revenue, they have been able to maintain productivity, and in many cases, they've actually been able to improve it. If they're able to do that in a four-day work week, does that tell you that what we've been doing in sort of office culture for decades is wrong? You don't need to work that many days. You can get the same amount of output out of people in four days as you could in five. I mean, were we all wasting time in the office all these years? Well, I think what it tells us is that before the pandemic, we had the technological capacity and the productivity <clears throat> to be able to, to work shorter while maintaining the same output. The pandemic has turbocharged this idea. It's really started the conversation. But what we already know is that for most office workers, they're only truly productive for around three hours per day. We, we know- Three hours per day? According to British research, truly wow. productive for three hours per day. We also know that in most office-based professions, we are currently wasting between two to three hours a day on overlong and unnecessary meetings, distractions and interruptions in the workday, and poor use of technology. And what we're finding in these trials is that when companies actually get serious about tackling these inefficiencies and these wasteful practices within their businesses, that actually offering a four-day work week without sacrificing performance Joe, or productivity is Joe, what I've we're I've got to wrap it up here. I hear you on the overly long meetings, though. I appreciate you working on a Friday. Thank you, Joe O'Connor. Now, that's all for us tonight. Thanks for watching. It's almost time for my weekend tweet. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.